Welcome to Vanguard Garage Gaming. My name's Reese. I'm joined by Monty, and we are your Vanguards for Conquest, A Last Argument of Kings by Parabellum. And not only that, we are joined by the lovely community manager, Leandros Mavrakavelos. I hope I pronounced your name properly, properly, my mate. <laughs> hey, thank, thanks, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, mate. Good. I am very, very well. Uh, thanks for joining us, Leo. Absolutely amazing to have you on. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. The, the always, man, the man, the myth, and the legend, finally. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I think with Reese, uh, we are talking to each other on call. It's a little bit almost as if it was a long distance relationship. At point. <laughs> I just made that, that joke was... with my uh, with my partner just earlier. I was like, I was just been talking to my uh, my work wife uh, earlier. So um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that leaves me. A little bit of a you're the third, <laughs> you're a... third wheel, mate. Oh, you're the one that we, the one that we invite along out of pity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Leo, do you want to give people a run through of like who you are for Parabellum and what you do, uh, and even how you like uh, came to be part of the company? All right. So uh, right now, I'm the community manager for the company. I manage the uh, Vanguard program and the uh, anything anything that has to do with community events. When you come and see us at shows, or when you when you have a an event running near you that has been sponsored by us, this has been this has went through my department. I have also been uh, game designing for the company. This was not my uh, let's say this wasn't the uh, original the original uh, purpose, but uh, I came to to love being part of Conquest in any ways that I could. So I jumped into uh, game design a few years back and. Now we have a new game coming out, so that's very exciting. Mm. Uh, I came into the company, I think, before the actually before the company was starting out. Uh, it was just a little bit before that. I remember that uh, Stavros, our founder back then, had this idea, and we met uh, by playing at this gaming club. We were playing board games there, and essentially, uh, he was at that point uh, doing his research about starting, you know. Uh, creating this a new game and back then he had been uh putting effort and has reaching out to Alessio Cavatore to create this to create uh Conquest of the Last Argument of Kings. Back then Parabellum wasn't really a thing yet. Uh and essentially what I did at the very beginning is I started playing the game with Stavros essentially and uh, one other member of the company then to just play test the game. And essentially, I started running, uh, I gathered together players. I started a play, play test circuit, essentially, and we started working the rules from there. And oh. this is the, the first instance in which I went into a little bit into game design. But as we were ramping up to the release of version one of the game, I became more and more involved in, in writing for the game. That's awesome. Fantastic. It would have been amazing to be on the ground and, you know, being being a couple of guys in your basement with an idea and then seeing it come into its own. Yeah, I, I think, um, you, you know, I think the approach, uh, Stavros's approach back then was very, was very good in that he says, you know, I have this in my hands. There is no rush to do anything with it. Just let's see whether we like it you know just take this and take a look at it right mm -hmm. do you like it do you, what what do you think of it right and i started playing the game and I'm, I'll, I'll tell you i had actually back then with stavros we were polar opposite <laughs> we did not like we had this polar opposite views of of uh game design and word gaming like i used to, back then i was playing hardcore like competitive war machine i was playing at every tournament for 40k i was playing anything under the sun like hyper competitively right <laughs> so when so for me like going into uh, i was playing flames of war uh competitively like th that was an entire chapter chapter of my life uh so <laughs> so like i came in from a very different standpoint right that i i wanted to see uh that I like rank and file because I was a huge uh, historical and fantasy nerd, right? And then I wanted to see whether this could ever become as competitive as other games out there. Yeah, hundred percent. And and uh, we started working on it. Uh, we started like I remember when I remember when Conquest: The Last Tournament of Kings was like a a single page of rules, like back and forth, an A four. It's hard, like, it's hard to imagine that now. <laughs> I, I, I know, right? Like, I remember when it was like the when 
Stavros is handing me these papers, like this is the most bare bones things you'll ever see. Just what do you think? And like things didn't even have a name. It was like swordsman and like I don't know, like spearman. Like they didn't have even have names back then. Uh, and yeah, it's been it's been an incredible ride since. And then you know, I was working uh, working with the whole um, with a team. I began as play tester, and then I started getting more and more involved in the company. I, I wrote more rules back then, and at some point, um, I wanted to create a, a volunteer program, what is now the Vanguard program. But I always had um, you know that that worry that there was a reason why a lot of Vanguard, a lot of similar volunteer programs would ultimately fail in other company like for other games mm -hmm. and so i really i really had that i really had that uh thought into my head and i was trying to think of how could we create a volunteer program that is that has a strong foundation and basis that's not going to suffer the fate of similar product and essentially what came out of that uh mm -hmm. brainstorming essentially is what became today the vanguard program that's great it's um that's actually really interesting to hear the the story behind the Vanguard program because I know that for example like Privateer Press did their press gangers and stuff like that that was before my time with um War Machine but I I've heard the stories and yeah it's one of those things that I'd never really thought of is like you know why didn't they last um but then you look at like and this is obviously like Monty and I are both vanguards and it's like looking at the Vanguard program it, it's always seeming to bring new people in and the game's continuing to build so it's it's good that this at least is is working for Parabellum I mean uh so there is you know usually the devil is in the details right mm. and so what we wanted to do with this program is just is so one thing is to have people that are passionate about the game be able to gain official recognition for the work that they do right for all for the community work that they do because at the end of the day people do this uh, purely out of out of the out of their love for the game this isn't this is purely voluntary right mm -hmm. uh, but what we wanted to do and what we wanted to do differently right mm -hmm. is that the vanguard program had to be um a an a program through which a person could mm -hmm. evolve to become a community builder, to become a community leader, uh, a content creator, uh, made, like as like you, Reese, like and you, Monty, <laughs> that you guys started doing your podcast. But there, you know, how many people started uh, YouTube channels and and podcasts and and Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts for their painting and for their converting? I had um, one of my favorite, like a shout out to uh to cody zwicker sorry if i'm mispronouncing it he's always sending me his incredible conversions and his videos that he's doing on streams and he's a person he's getting I, like i can see with every piece of work that he's doing he's getting better and better and this is something that conquest really gave him the 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 push to pursue uh there are so many people now that are just so much more actively engaged in community building mm. and i like to think that if we conquest was let's say if these people were would stop let's say playing conquest like no i want to think that going through the vanguard program would leave experiences and um and skills that would last you for any kind of endeavor people would want to engage themselves with mm. So this initiative that we wanted to give people this um, this skill set, bringing people closer to the to game development, being bringing people closer to the company, getting to meet meet us um, better, even when simply there's something going wrong with their with their orders or with like vanguards want ha have an issue with an order, we try to explain to them. Uh, for example, what is happening? We try to be very transparent because we want to make sure that these people have a good understanding of how we work and how the industry works and how community building works. Mm. So through the through this distilling, like giving this kind of knowledge and this sort of initiative, we're hoping to build a community of what I'd like to say leaders. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I, and that's why uh, we're looking forward to have a program that doesn't just fall under its own weight over its own hmm. yeah i mean look, for me it's it's a fantastic program it really it's sort of i guess i think about the vanguards as a family like it's building a family environment within the game you know you got you know you're, you're far off siblings you know in, in the uk and the us and in and, and greece 
and you know you're all a part of something larger than yourselves um so yeah i think it's i, I think it's it's fantastic i mean i don't know if i've if i've become a, an amazing leader but uh you know i like to do a little bit in my own way <laughs> I'll definitely put you as a reference on my uh, on my resume, though, Leo. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure thing. No, more, more than happy to. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's and that's exactly. I like what you just said there, Monty. Is like building that sort of like family uh, sort of tradition amongst vanguards. Is like the you know the the Discord's great for that. Like all the different vanguards chat amongst themselves there, and you know you've got people in. Oh, Austria, We've, there's us in Australia, you got some in like a heap in the US, a bunch in the UK and all sorts of things. And yeah, it's really good to see like the, like people come on board, like the new people, especially like there's a, a fairly recent one is Tane, who's over in um, uh, New Zealand. So shout out to Tane and Argos Forge. Um, he's a top dude. Uh, I've chatted him a few times and yeah, no, it's good to see people like from all around the world come in on the program. And it's really good to see like Parabellum, especially like bring those people in and like help them build a community in their, their their region so that they can you know promote the game because that's what we're all here to do is play a really cool war game yeah play with our war dollies <laughs> that's it but i'm um, with the with the vanguard program leo like um i know that the there's a bunch of different tiers and i know that getting into it especially is like did you want to break down like how if people are interested in becoming a vanguard and you know maybe there there's nobody in their area that does it like how can they go about doing it and what are they then expected to you know to to build on from there to to get the ball rolling yeah uh so right now we're actually a little bit of a transitional period with the tiers but i think the principles remain the remain the same essentially uh any person that wants to uh, join the vanguard program can reach out to our contact email uh we will then forward them to a giddy key a giddy key sees our vanguard program coordinator essentially uh by reaching out to us uh we want to first of all get to know you get to know who you are as a player uh whether what do you play? How long you've been playing? What's your community look like? We don't need to have any incredible amount of experience with the game just to see, you know, uh, what, what your background is as a gamer uh, and how we can best work together to help you uh, build your community. Uh, so essentially, you reach out. Uh, we keep we go back and forth. Uh, you give us some some information that we can reach you at, and we go through a small, let's say. Um, a small period through which you get to know us you get to know what resources you can have as a vanguard you get to know we, we can help you um uh set up events what kind of event you know guide you and give give people feedback on uh, how the uh, how events would run and then once you feel once a vanguard feels comfortable enough uh running events and they see that their community is picking up then we officially enroll them into the program what we do is that we want to make sure that, you know, Vanguards have all the cool toys, right? So we give out uh, monthly coupons at the very beginning. It's uh, 50 US dollars or euros, depending on where you are in the world. And then when as you move up the tiers, that goes up to 100. And then, of course, there is a top invitational tier that is the people that we've been working with for the longest. They're people that we feel they're very close to our hearts. They're just incredible members of the community. And... Some of these people have uh, developed and joined, subsequently joined the team. And uh, you, Reese, is one of these people. It's true. I just weaseled my way in there. They can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, about, it's about creating real... The program is about creating real opportunities for people. And uh, yeah, actually, we have so far brought uh, four people into the, into, into the team this way. Yeah, and it's that's um, was it? It's a shout out to Hunter, Joey, Christoph, and myself. I think it is, is it? Or was it Stamos and, as well? It's Stamos. Yes, yeah. there you go. And Stamos. I had a feeling there was that's one five. more, but yeah. So that's five people. You're right. Five people. Excellent. But yeah, no, it's it's um and yeah, it's it's like a, a huge shout out to you guys for putting up with you for the most part. But um yeah, being able to like work with you guys, building up from I started as a Vanguard, Monty and I did a podcast, we run events, blah blah blah. And now I get to, you know, like chat to you on a very regular basis about all sorts of things with the game, which is which is great. And um, no, it's, it's really good. And shout out to everybody in the company, like Stavros, Maria, Daryl, everybody. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure working with all of them. So um, yeah, no, it's, uh, for anybody who can ever get to that point, uh, following the little guide of being a Vanguard and onwards, it's, um, it's definitely worth the effort. 
but um no it's it, it, yeah it's uh it is a program we're very proud of and we do it is really the backbone of our community building uh let's say uh, approach hmm. and yeah we're always looking forward for more people so if you're listening and you're interested in joining our team and joining of this incredible team of vanguards and this incredible community you only have to just give us a shout out uh, on our contact email we'll get you from there yep. we'll take it from there and i'll chuck that email in the uh notes for this episode as well and i'll tag it through as well because yeah it's um it's definitely worth uh tagging along with and another benefit of uh being a vanguard is you get to assist with play testing which was another thing we were going to chat about so um you mentioned earlier we're working on a new game which is first blood 2 or 2.0 uh, you know, more yes. blood, the bloodening. Um, and yeah, that's that's coming <laughs> out very, very soon. More blood than the first version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First <laughs> blood to the second blood. Um, but yeah, that's coming out very soon. But yeah, did you want to um, give a run through, Leo, of how playtesting is done uh, for, you know, for yourself and then obviously the people that take part and how it all runs through and the processes that are sort of in, in place to to get that to happen and then anything else you want to sort of run through with that and we'll, we'll bounce uh, questions from there as well. Yeah. So, uh, for those listening, so we know we have, uh, Conquest of the last argument of Kings, the mass, the mass battle, uh, rank and file, uh, war game. And then there we, we had, uh, uh, conquest first blood and conquest first blood was this, um, this, at the very beginning, it started as this introductory game to the last argument of Kings, right? A few models, uh, essentially, very similar rules down to uh actually down to i think it was 90 percent the same rules pretty much and that that worked well as an introductory game but there was a huge crowd of people that preferred skirmish kind of version of the game and not really the uh the rank and flank so we decided since we always had this vision of being able to play the game in different let's say in different from different points of view like to experience the mass battle one of the skirmish and then all the way down to uh an rpg version of the game and all the way uh zoomed out to uh to a let's say huge sort of um kingdom kind of point of view board games and so on we we felt that first blood was the great opportunity to explore that sealed wall level of point of view of conquest so we started redesigning the game from the ground up essentially it's a complete recall of the game uh if you played first blood in the in the in the in the past really the only thing that stays the same is the miniature and the round bases essentially <laughs> uh things that make it conquest of course are there uh you know the, the activations the command stack and so on but we definitely put a lot more emphasis on the narrative aspect of the game and making sure you know we can explore the lore and the what each and every miniature on the table can do through through uh, different approaches and the rules. So right now we have uh, finished with the core with the core rules for a while now, and what we're doing is that we're in the process of play testing the factions. Essentially, uh, we actually have, uh, we are very happy to have over 70, uh, actually over 75 uh, playtesters. I think last count was 78. Uh, so every round of playtesting, we give out uh, feedback forms, we give out the army lists, we have a dedicated uh, channel on Discord that we go through everything. Uh, each playtester has to submit a form. Uh, at the end of each playtesting round, this playtesting round actually will end uh, this Sunday going to Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, we take all that feedback. We ask questions. Uh, the, the feedback comes in the form of a questionnaire and a submitted document with uh, people find, let's say, some mistakes, some wording that has to be changed. We see the things that are going, we see the things that are going wrong. We, we try to approach them from a point of point balancing but at the same time keeping our head our mind open to a possible to um do a, let's say a redesign that is a little bit more out of the box and what i would say is adding uh regiment specific special rules or giving certain characters like really unique you know twists on how on how they would play and i would say as a parenthesis here that sometimes this is the hardest part of game design to be able to think outside of of the box you yourself have, have created hmm. 
which is uh that, that's quite a challenge and yeah so at the end of every play this round people uh give them their feedback if they've provided feedback they, these people can move on in the second round if they have not provided feedback for us to be able to make sure be, to make sure we keep only our most active playtesters, a uh, person that does not submit feedback, they will not move on to the to the next round. And the people that will that will follow up uh, playtesting all the way to the end, uh, first of all, um, they get to have they get to have a signed version, a signed hard copy of the game from the entire team that is involved with uh, the designing of the game. And then, of course, we always try to give out a, another very special gift for everybody that has followed up on all rounds of playtesting. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And look, Leo, thank you. You reminded me I need to probably get my phone in. My phone <laughs> in. Um, that's a handy reminder right from the top. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's such a such a fantastic and and look, I, I think for me, it's it's a really unique way of doing things. I think certainly, you know, obviously other companies have much smaller, much behind closed doors playtesting crews, and and I mean more numbers. I think you're. I, I love what you do with sort of making sure that as you go through the tiers it has to be active playtesters only uh, because obviously that that makes sure that you get um, high quality results and then you know having a higher number of high quality results just only equals just a smoother experience i think it's a, it's a great idea yeah and it's um we start we have a very i mean right now um like i have a very Stubberson and I, to be honest, to be fair, I have a very clear approach to game design. That is, does not matter how many games you think you've played internally. You know, when the game goes out there, it's going to break. Like, it's not going to be as smooth as you think. And of course, uh, we've gotten a lot better throughout the years, right? We've gotten, uh, we've, I mean, we learned the hard way in a lot of, uh, with a lot of things, but. It doesn't matter how much how much you play this the game internally. You know, people will always find something you could not see because, right? You get it's almost as if you're trying to to um, to copy edit your own writing. Like mm. you're always going to be missing things because you know what you're intending to write. Mm. So this is why we 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 are always doing a little bit more of an open semi let's say semi open uh playtesting and we're using our vanguard uh community um to do that because we understand that if we want to have a good game we need to open it up to more players we need the feedback of a lot of players and having 75 over 75 uh playtesters really help you with that for sure sure and uh and yeah look finding the broken little combos is is just what gets me up in the morning <laughs> yeah and it's 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 um i was gonna say leo's like what you were saying before about you know like learning as you've gone is like when you look at uh even like early stuff and then you look at the way the wadroon turned out and then again with the old dominion is like you can obviously see the the, the leaps and bounds that rule designs come from 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 parabellum like yourself and that and it's good oh, yeah. to see, like, as it keeps going, it keeps getting better and better. And I can speak from a very personal uh, point of view is when people see First Blood 2, it's a whole new game. It's fantastic. There's so many cool things. It's like the narrative zoom in that's happened with First Blood 2 is like beyond what you would imagine if you know the current game. Yeah, I, I, like what, what you're saying, for example, from the Wadroom to the Old Dominion, like, Think of, and you, you, you would know, think of when we were going through the first blood factions, right? From the 100 kingdoms that were designing first all the way to the two, the ones that we, des we designed later, how many leaps and bounds have there been designing mm -hmm. factions for the for first blood version two? Like the, just the, um, the amount of, development that was the, like how much better everything got as we were running as we were going through uh these army lists uh let alone of course what drew an old dominion that was a year apart for the last argument of kings yeah yeah exactly right like for example right now we're going back to the to the army list that we designed at the beginning right to give them a little bit more of, that, of the things that we learned designing first blood uh the, the first blood factions 
Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's it's very funny. Like like you say, there is like when we designed, you know, the original factions uh, for the new version of First Blood, and then we get about halfway through, and we're like, what if we did this really cool thing? And then you have to go back through the three factions we've done before and go, now we need to add that cool thing into the old yeah. things. <laughs> and let me, oh, and let me, let me say also officially that Reese has been a, a crucial. Uh, crucial part of of designing these uh, these new army lists, and I thank you for that for all the help. Oh, mate, it's you're welcome. A pleasure to have uh, to have a second pair of eyes to help through that design process and bounce ideas off each other. It has been uh, has been a great pleasure, mate. It's been an absolute blast. I don't know if crucial is the right word for it. I feel like I'm just the like the 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 kid in the corner with the glasses on, going, "What if you did this instead?" But I'll but I'll take the I'll take the praise. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but no the uh yeah uh, for, again I'll I'll reiterate it as like yeah the new first blood is going to be absolutely phenomenal um and I think at the moment it's currently slated for is it late July early August I know it'll be ready for Gen Con but it's like it's I think it's late July for the rules release right Leo so we're looking to be releasing the rules uh, at Gen like during okay. Gen Con there you go. Like cool, Gen Con is the let's say quote unquote release party essentially beautiful yeah cool I, and, I and also. And also at the same time, we're working on completely reholding our army builder. Uh, and I can tell you that during August, army builder is going to be available. During then, we're going to be very close, if not already out with it. We will be uh, discussing dates for the army builder. Uh, we'll make those releases, uh, those news news releases, very soon. Hmm. Essentially, what we wanted to do with the army builder is. First of all, we're, we're making it an app. Hey, that's great so, news! Yeah. So right off the bat, we're making it an app. The app is going to take another. Uh, is going to take. It's not going to be the first version of Ember Builder now that's going to be released. So the first thing we're going to do is that we are preparing. We're preparing this whole Army Builder experience to transform into an app. So the first step is to rehaul our web version of the Army Builder. That mm -hmm. is, first of all, to be able to host the new version of First Blood, right? Because we're talking about a completely different now experience. And prepare some things for maybe some future updates of the last argument of King. I don't know. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> and, and the design philosophy now is very different in the sense that we're first optimizing the design for mobile and then expanding it to the browser. So as opposed to uh, what we did in the first place, that we first went out to create this dashboard for the computer that didn't really scale very well on, on mobile. And once that, that first milestone is done, and once that is ready, uh, we're continuing on our work to, for the app. But the app is confirmed, and this rehaul of, of the, uh, the web version is actually part of leading up to lead up to the, to the app. Yeah, and I know yeah. that, I know that's a huge thing for people as well. It's like it once you get used to the way the army builder works on a mobile, it's perfectly fine. But it's it's a very jarring experience to begin with. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure I had the advice, um, you know, switch to desktop mode. I had that burned into my brain because so many people would say this is this is quite difficult to use, and I'd just be like, Control Alt, you know, V, <laughs> just paste, go to desktop mode. Yeah. But but no, absolutely, and it's just right now the even the web version of it's gonna be uh, is gonna be designed is gonna first of all be designed for mobile and then expanded upon for the web version. So already we have we're gonna have a lot more utility, mm. and then it's just whole different uh, visuals. Uh, for, uh, it's easier to navigate. There's just a lot of feedback that we've gotten and a lot of new stuff that we want to do. And finally, when we uh, will be able to go full on, we'll be able to even have drag and drop stuff into your list. I just love it. Hmm. Yeah, that's like really a lot, good. a lot, a lot of quality, uh, quality of life uh, updates on the Iron Builder. And yeah, of course, and of course, the, it being an app. Yeah, the quality of life is always a big thing, especially for for list builders. Uh, the the amount of times like um. You look at like even something that's an official product from another gaming company. Nine times out of ten, people go to like Battlescribe, for example, because it 
they, they know how it works for other games. Um, I have to admit, yeah. the, the army builder that you guys have at the moment, I find easier to use than Battlescribe, but I know for other games, Battlescribe's definitely the way to go. Um, so yeah, when you, when you sort of compare it to that, being like, hey, we've designed it for this exact function, it definitely makes a whole lot of difference. Yeah. I mean, and saying by Battlescribe, actually, our app is going to be for free. So hey, to, even better to, to make sure I, I communicate it. Yeah, this is part of our philosophy that we want people to. Uh, this hobby is expensive already, uh, and so we want people to be using their money to buy miniatures, not rules. Right? The rules is something that we give for free. Yeah, this is just part of our. This is part of how we thought about ourselves from the very beginning. Is that we want to make this game and this hobby viable for everybody and we do not think that we will make be able to make it viable if we charge money for rules yeah i've always like i, I understand that obviously and this is getting into a, a different kind of topic but like games workshop is the you know the biggest competitor for war games around the world and you know they they make you especially here in australia we pay an arm and a leg for rules for them but having free rules is very refreshing <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, change. yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, every game has its own approach, and every game, you know, they has a, a reason, I guess, for the way they're approaching things. Our reason, our rationale, and the way that we operate is that we do not find a need for people to. Uh, to buy the rules mm. it definitely creating the but that's not to say that creating the rules is anywhere it's not easy at all it's very time consuming process you still require uh you still require artists to to do to create that to create those rule books you still create you know graphic designers you you, you still have you're still incurring all the costs right to create that so it's not easy in at every on every on any uh level but uh we feel that this is a noble sacrifice and we feel that this is a noble uh it's noble because we want more people to play rather than exclude people from from being able to join the game uh because they have to pay too much uh too much money on rules the only kind of rules we 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 charge is only if you want the things that we give for free as pdfs if you want to buy it as a hardcover and that's mm -hmm. really the only but you don't have to essentially yeah, which I really like. Like you, you, you know, I, the amount of times I have a uh, the Parabellum rules page open on my computer is unnumbered um, because it's usually I'm like I could just quickly look this up. It'll take me five seconds, and then you got the army builder open in another panel. You're like, sweet, I can check this while I'm here. Yeah, and look, it is you're you're 100 right, Leo. It, it's such a it lowers the barrier of entry, especially for for newer players. You know, in some other systems, I don't like. You know, they come out and an addition changes and suddenly you're up $100 to just play the game that you want to play regardless of model purchases, regardless of anything else. So, you know, it's certainly, it's just refreshing. It, it creates a place where, you know, there's a bit of goodwill there. There's, there's goodwill back to a developer that uh, thinks about that sort of stuff and, and decides to pay it forward. Mm. And I'm not going to like there, there. And another, I think another part of our rationale is that we understand we understand that we're creating this living game, right? We understand that the rules are going to be changing, additions are going to be changing. There are going to be updates. And for example, this is why we're putting the QR codes on the cards and not the stats. This is something that a lot of people are asking because you know a lot of people at the very beginning were saying, well, why don't you have the stats on the cards? It's a lot easier to reference. And you're right, but then what happens if your cards are outdated because we made a change? Nobody likes that either. And actually, nobody like this is more unpleasant than having to just scan the card. But but then of course to cater to that, this is why we're having the free app, and this is why you can scan the QR code through the Army Builder and get all the stats. And mm -hmm. the same way, the same thing happens with the rules is that we feel that there is a lot of responsibility in selling someone rules that we might have to update hmm. and we we feel that there is a lot of responsibility there and there is a lot of respect for the money that people give us for the money that people use to buy our products and we just we're trying to make it as evergreen as possible 
Yeah, it's sure. it's it, it's simply a matter of people work hard to. I mean, it's not it's not it's 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 a fairly uh, expensive hobby, right? All all around, and people work hard to be able to afford it. And we're trying to we're trying to respect that that uh, the money people people pay on this hobby as much as possible. And we want to make sure that people feel respected. Yeah, and that's a great way to do it. Like a really good way to do it. And like you said, like the the constant evolution of the game as well is like you know we've seen rules updates for last argument where we've gone from 1.0 to 1.03 to 1.5 to 1.51 and there's still faqs and erratas that happen in there and little quality of life changes you know some crazy weird stuff that people find in the game and you know we break that down and run it through um and then you know we look at first blood first blood's gone from version one to version 1.5 and now it's going into version two um where it's a whole new game and you all of those rules being free is a really good um, like community thing as well from Parabellum side is like because you know the people can just go and it's it's for us it's really easy especially like from a Vanguard point of view to sell it to a new player going oh if you don't know if you want to buy anything just yeah like grab an army box to build minis or you know if you're part of like an OP kit here's like a free mini to take home and build and paint and read all the rules for free online because all of it's there your army lists the the, the core rules everything it's like just have a look, see what you think, come back next week and we'll go from there. So it's a really good way to do things from a community building point of view um, that then helps build the game on and on in your region. Yeah, absolutely. And just segueing uh, into the rules, certainly for uh, for First Blood 2, uh, as soon as we can, we'll we'll release a uh, an episode as soon as the rule goes live. The rules go live. Sorry, I can't speak tonight. Um <laughs> So we can sort of go over it in, in, in great detail. We can pour over our, our lovely little combo wombos and, and really sort of uh, spell it out for those who, who love the more verbal side of, of the rules. Mm, for sure. Did you want to give people a teaser, Leo? Of uh, what is in the core rules for the game? Or, oh, mate, or pick, are... pick anything. Uh, we, we give it completely out of context as well because that'll make it even more enjoyable. <laughs> we'll even de-identify so... you so no one will know who you are. <laughs> so uh what what i would say for the core rules of the game is that you have now a game that every miniature matters where every where every miniature is placed plays a role for the course of battle you have two um two two sides that are fighting creating ad hoc formations between all these different troops you have on the table uh, and you're playing a really uh, action-packed battle that is properly, properly scaled. I would say to the fact that it's not you. You get you very quickly understand that you're not playing mass battle. Everything is geared towards making you feel like you're part of the sealed wall. Yeah, it's super when it, zoomed in. <laughs> when it comes down to when it comes down to the uh, to the army lists. We want to zoom in and really give people the the idea, right? To really help people um, resonate with it, with the faction that they're playing. Like, for example, some of them sometimes in a more tongue in cheek way, like when you have the whole Dre having an ability called the Nemancers will want to see this, right? You can only imagine what this could do. I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to say. <laughs> When you have, for example, characters like the Steel Shaper, and you're going to see characters like the Steel Shaper in a very different light that you would have seen them in, in the last Argument of Kings. Because right now, they're just these... We can really delve deep into their lore. In First Blood, you, you, you have to have one character and only one character per force. So, and that character cam, comes um, either at no cost or a few points uh and essentially that is the basis of your force and that character really defines the way that your that force will play so you will see certain characters synergizing with specific with specific things for example you have the vulva synergizing with with valkyrie so you have the yarrow like uh synergizing with raiders and you will see these regiments being referred to by name in, in rules, really helping the the uh, the new player understand what kind of regiments they should include 
uh, they should include in their army when they're playing with that with that character. So, for example, that we let's say take the the temper still shaper, right? Which is a very it's a very um, kind of a unique example because in the last argument of kings, he is a spellcaster. But going, but now in first blood, we're able to really delve deep into the uh, into the into the lore of the steel shaper and really explore how the steel shaper is actually uh, is actually a sorcerer at the very final stages of the tra of its transformation. So actually, the things that a steel shaper does is no longer really spells. You cannot really. Um, it's a very alien way of of approaching this. And so right now, the Temper Steel Shaper is no longer a wizard in terms of rules. It's just a, it's just a character that can simply do things, right? Yeah, and we cool. really explore that. We give characters new actions, right? Their own sort of unique actions. Sometimes, like, uh, for example, the Steel Shaper does not have access to a retinue. And there is a little bit of lore underneath saying why they're not going to get a retinue. For example, a quote, a quote, a quote is essentially that it's only the most accomplished of sorcerers that are the only few, the only living creatures that actually interact with the steel shapers, right? It's simply that the elders fear these beings are no longer dwegum. And so trying to convey to you and explain to the player who might not know about the lore or might not understand why the steel shaper doesn't have a retinue, understand why that character would not be able to take a retinue. Mm -hmm. For example, the, the, the spire you have the mimetic you have the mimetic assassin, and there is a very cool bit of lore that when the mimetic assassin fights, it telepathically creates um, this false sense of of security to its prey, like it makes it feel like it makes you when you're fighting against it, it makes you feel like you got this right. It makes you overconfident, like to go and attack it. And essentially as a trap and this these are kind of bits of lore that are reflected on the actual rules so there is an actual command ability that's called false hopes yeah that, or, that's super cool that's super thematic i love i love as you you know as you said those lovely little little tidbits and having I, I won't sort of go into it but certainly i mean i know i for one love getting a narrative game and a war game at once you know i know um uh, Last Argument of Kings certainly is a narrative game at heart, but you know you could play it completely ignoring the narrative. You know you could play it not knowing the narrative at all. It would still be a very good game, um, and it would play just like that. But certainly with First Blood, I feel like it's almost impossible to ignore the narrative because it's so intertwined because it's brought into this intimate level. Well, another thing that, for example, uh, Last Argument of Kings players will, will understand is that command. Uh, command upgrades are now officers. They have now their own uh, characteristics profile. They have their own special rules. Again, going back from from uh, from the lore, retinue models have their own characteristic profiles. They have their own special rules. Everything is there to really convey the way a faction would approach um, uh, engagements of that of that uh, scale. Another, for example, little little bit, little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, a flavor, and this is by the time of rec recording this, you haven't seen it in testing yet. It's one <laughs> of the, it's part of round two. For, let's say the noble lord cavalry is the only cavalry, cavalry uh, um, character that can actually take a single mounted squire as retinue, and it's the mounted squire that is actually. Uh, carrying a banner for the for the noble lord on, on the mounted version oh, that's cool yeah and that that's the 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 really cool thing with and i like i love the lore of conquest as a whole when you look at like and the, the comparison would be if you look at last argument the lore for the most part is tied to the war bands each character can take and the different interactions they have amidst the regiments in their force but then it's like when you look at First Blood, you've got one character, your whole army is probably going to rotate around that character in some way. Um, like Leo said just before, it's like if you run a Volva for the Nords, Valkyries are where it's at because the Volva goes, hey, the Valkyries are my, you know, my heralds and so they're going to do all my sorts of stuff for me on the battlefield so they get this bonus, they get to do this, this is what I do for them. 
Um, and then you've got the same thing with um, like the Hold Ray and uh, things like Hold Thanes or Dragon Slayers. Uh, and then you've got the same thing from, you know, like the Jarl and the, the Raiders and things like that as you carry through. So the lore for First Blood has compressed down. So each like flavor of your force of your faction can be different. Old Dominion is like, hey, if you run a Hyra Deacon, it's Fallen Pantheon for you. If you run an Archimandrite, it's the, the Dark Creed stuff, which is like your Kerries and your Mori. Uh, if you're running a Strateos, it's things like your Athanati um, and your Cataphracti, things like that. It's And so the game can be completely different by literally swapping a character. Yeah. And it's, for me, um, for it's also in the names of the abilities. Like, for example, there uh, the Heliarch or the Stratos or I think almost, um, or all, all Dominion characters like this eternal discipline is like you mm. know you would expect that they're not that they're going to be they're not going to be provoked as a result of being of taking a challenge or they're they're just you know they're they're just some things that you that you would expect and the we're trying to we have a unique privilege of being able to write rules on a solid lore foundation that first and foremost makes sense and it's in in terms of game design you know i always look at the people that design historical games because these people are actually up to something if you think about the the design process of a of a historical game or simply just playing a historical game you pick a historical period that you like and the the reason that you like that historical period is because events have transpired that you find interesting whether that is the middle ages the bronze ages whatever whatever period of time it is that you find interesting it is the way that the people fought the way that battles will wage war the diplomacy the politics whatever that is that you would like in a good historical game is a game that can take that setting and bring it to life for you right that it takes these characters these absolutely unique parts of that time period and really reflects them well into a game setting. When you have essentially, sorry, this is happening because you have, let's say, good lore, quote unquote, you have real history. And usually history is a lot weirder and more interesting than most things a person could think of to write in fantasy. And so we have a story, we have a lore that is heavily inspired by real historical events this we pay we put immense amount of effort into making that story cohesive and and making that story make sense and then approach game design from a historical game design perspective that is taking the unique parts of that lore and reflecting them well into the game and more often than not, this creates very interesting rules of, instead of, let's say, creating placeholder archetype regiments and trying to base a game on a flavorless, just baseline sort of, sort of placeholder like regiment that yeah. doesn't really reflect anything in the, in the story. Like words and numbers. So, You're using something instead of words yeah. and numbers. Oh, that's crazy. And that's good. This has been our game design philosophy from the from the very beginning. And I think Rich, you will agree. Many times when we're discussing about a rule, a question is like, what what's the story behind the rule? Hundred percent. What is what what is the narrative? What is it? What what is it doing? Like, why does the mimetic uh, play the play the way that it does? First of all, why is it not a character that you can build an army around? Well, because you know, mimetic is what it is. It's not a character that leads. Uh, that, that leads troops it's just the, something that is there to kill another character and then that's and then you take all the all the uh the important bits of lore and you create this cool looking piece of rules because the story behind it is interesting and because the story behind it is cool yeah and and having something like deep seated in lore just makes it easier for people that especially if they're coming into the war game from reading the lore of the game um, and not the other way, like the other way around, it's like an added bonus. But if you're someone who's like, oh, I've read all this lore, it's really cool, but you know, oh, and then my friend got me a box of the miniatures for Christmas or something. It's like, you can, you can then picture it in your head because you've read 
this you know everything to do with a specific style of character or a specific style of faction and then you can be like i can i can picture this on the battlefield with the models and it can work yeah to be able for something to play as advertised is is one of the hardest tasks that we've assigned to ourselves but one that we feel very proud when we get it right Mm. is this we want to be able to write a piece of lore and that piece of lore being reflected into the game this is just gives us great satisfaction it just makes for a good game it also helps when the lore is absolutely phenomenal (laughs) (laughs) thank you I know you. I know you're not allowed to touch the law, mate. But I figured I'd at least say that. No, the, uh, me not be able not uh, allowed to touch the law is a running joke because uh, you know, uh, especially when before Acostadino's early writer uh, moved to Corfu, uh, you know, my favorite just thing to pick on him was to just take everything that he was telling me from the law and just twist it just to just to pick on him. <laughs> so I have been uh, quote unquote banned from discussing lore. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll have to get Konstantinos or Stavros on at some point and they can talk for like seven hours about the lore. That'd be good. Mon- Monty and I can just have a kip while they do that. Yeah, I'll just have a, have a nice hot chocolate, you know, <laughs> really hit the hard stuff and uh, and just, just kick back and, and enjoy it as a super thing. No, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Leo. Um, that's been really good to to hear from you. You know, everything to do with the company, and and a, and a huge shout out to Parabellum for uh, you know letting me tag along for a little bit of the ride because it's been an absolute blast. Um, but thanks for coming on to talk about the Vanguard program. Thanks for coming on to talk about playtesting and and First Blood too, which is really good. So everybody should be super excited for it because the game is freaking awesome. Uh, and yeah, coming out August, which is even better. Yeah, thank you. No, I really appreciate you having you having me. Uh, work, right now, we're working hard on First Blood, finalizing it. Then we have a few surprises, of course. Uh, we're working on new tournament packs for both games. So there's just, it's going to be a very, very busy year for Conquest. And there's a lot of things for people to look out for. A lot of new, incredible models are coming out. And so I'm just very excited for what lies ahead. And the most important thing is eventually I get to work on my city states. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, this is <laughs> nothing else matters just, after that. That's it. Game we're, over. We're, we're, we're just so excited, and it's like honestly, if I can say something to, if you thought that what Drew and the Old Dominion were were unique, then I think the city states is city states is going to be. Every, quite right they're going to be very 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 distinct and unique with our always with our own unique conquest flavor yeah you are not prepared for what they're going to look like (laughs) but thanks for joining us leo monty an absolute pleasure as always mate Uh, always a pleasure never a chore (laughs) that's exactly it i mean i am a bit of a chore but that's beside the point um but guys thanks for listening um as always don't forget our affiliate code on the parabellum eShop. it's vgg10 It'll get you 10% off your first order. We're using that one. Uh, And until next time, guys, we'll see you then.